2: Sandman, for years, not only would this song indicate that uh, Mariano Rivera was coming to close it out for the Yankees, and for a time, it even indicated that Billy Wagner was coming to the mound for the Metropolitans, and for over a decade, on one of the most successful nationally syndicated radio talk shows in history. It was an indication of all that you were about to hear included laughter, insight, helpful advice, And more. And I am very, very pleased to welcome back to this program the man whose uh, theme song we have pilfered uh, for our top of the hour theme as well. And uh, one of my favorite radio talk show hosts of all time, one of the most successful radio talk show hosts in history. Now he does a, a subscription podcast, which is just tearing it up. And uh, we'll tell you more about that in a in a moment. Very very pleased to welcome back to the show the one and only Tom Likas. Tom, how are you?
1: I'm doing great, Frank. How about? And I you do care. care. <laughs> I care. I care. You better believe I do. Frank, it, I've been ramping up for this show tonight. I love it. I because, love it because you know how I did it. I watched on YouTube a video that I believe you must have posted seven years ago. You were in a hotel room with Monty Rock III. (laughs) And I watched the entire interview, and I want you to know now having watched that, I am... I am ready to go, Oh
2: man. Usually uh, anybody that's watched that video will usually refuse my uh, request to do anything. (laughs) So uh, you're a trooper for uh, being willing to stick around. Hey, um, let me ask you about Enter Sandman. Obviously, Enter Sandman has such a great history with so many different things. Why did you pick that as your top of the hour theme years ago?
1: Well, I happen to believe that's one of the great uh, riffs of all time um the metallica just amazing and um i just believe that the uh, the rhythm of it the beat of it the hard rock version of it uh, or uh, aspect of it um really, really the, the, the it said in my head that's what my show sounds like or that's what i want it to sound like and um you know the show went on uh, westwood 1 in 1994 and already that song was about 4 years old but it was just one of my favorite rock tunes ever. And so that was it.
2: One of the things that I love about you is because you're a radio guy that has been able to kind of master any format. You've done local shows. You've done nationally syndicated shows. You've done political talk. You've done so-called hot talk. You've done uh, WBAI and some of the most listened to talk stations in the whole country. As far as you're concerned, how much of being on the radio is natural talent, uh, wit, intellect, etc., and how much is a result of the work that you put into it?
1: Well, you have to start with the basic building blocks, uh, which is you have to like to read. Uh, people who don't like to read are not good radio personalities. They're just not. I like to read. I find certain stories uh, pique my interest, and every day I get up, it's a new day. I feel like uh, the managing editor of a newspaper every day, figuring out what the things are that people will be talking about today. I still think that way, even after all these years. I still do.
2: You know, you're obviously in California now. Obviously, are, are originally a New Yorker. Maybe people don't know that, but uh, very, very proud Californian these days. Uh, how are How are you feeling about your new senator, LaFonza Butler?
1: Well, i i i hate to uh, I, I hate to be uh, the bearer of good news or bad news, depending on how you see it. But right before you called me to be on the show um she has registered as a resident of Los Angeles <laughs> County she has a house in Los Angeles County and so uh, the, the issue that people are trying to throw at her about being a resident of Silver Spring Maryland that goes out the window um you know i, I mean the bottom line is uh, in a situation like this you know who's going to be appointed uh, you don't know necessarily the individual's name well, you know what kind of person is going to be nominated, somebody who is the, the chairman of Emily's List, um, as someone who is a person of color? I mean, it, it, it goes without saying that that would be a leading candidate to be a fill-in uh, for the U.S. senator position in California.
2: You know, that's one of the reasons that I'm so perplexed that up until a day and a half ago, she was registered to vote in – another state i mean if you knew that you were in contention for this kind of position even if it was a one out of a thousand chance why wouldn't you just change your registration to uh to california and you know the 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 thing about this that really grates on me a little bit is i wish newsom kind of like biden did with his supreme court pick uh i wish newsom hadn't gone out of his way to say i'm going to appoint a woman in, of color he should have said from the get-go i'm going to appoint the most qualified person and then appoint a woman of color and say okay i found the most qualified person instead it looks kind of like uh hate to use the term but an affirmative action pick
1: well let me let me uh jog your memory here uh, joe biden also said he was going to appoint a black woman to the supreme court uh so he did the exact same right thing. right exactly
2: no i and i felt the same way i think you should just appoint the most qualified person oh look it's katanji brown jackson she happens to be black great you know rather than say i'm looking for a black person
1: well, I like the way that sounds like you do. Except uh there are political realities. Um I mean, uh, for example, uh uh you know, Republican candidates generally don't say, "Well, I'm going to appoint a white guy." <laughs> because they always do hire a white guy. <laughs>
2: Hey, uh, something tells me whenever this election is, I guess it's next year, uh, there's a lot of candidates already running, a lot more being talked about running. Something tells me you won't be uh, first on the train for the Meghan Markle for U.S. Senate candidacy.
1: I would be last. (laughs) And and I say this as someone who lives 35 miles from her. I would be last. You think she is
2: actually going to run? You usually have a pretty good sense about this kind of thing.
1: Well, I have a feeling that at some point reality will hit her. Uh, you know, uh, people like Meghan Markle, and she's not the only one, believe me. But uh, uh, people like Meghan Markle think they are way more popular than they actually are. Uh, Meghan Markle uh, is disliked by so many people, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't. I just don't think she has a clue. How many people dislike her? How much and how deeply they dislike her? I mean, there there isn't a chance, there isn't a prayer that she would get a substantial number of votes. No way.
2: Well, so uh, something tells me that uh, they're going to have to keep doing the reality show circuit for a while. Uh, apparently, even their podcast turned out to be a bit of a bust.
1: Um. Yeah. Uh, You know, nobody was listening. Nobody was subscribing to hear that. And um, uh, let's face it, I'm in the podcasting business today. I noticed. And and I um, I don't know anyone thought that podcast was well done or interesting or compelling to even a niche on.
2: You know, one of the things that you did on your show, and I think you still do this a great deal on your podcast, is you spent a lot of time talking about relationships, male-female relationships. And I think what? One, one of the things that people misunderstand is that, oh, it's only guys that like to hear about that stuff, when really, if you look at the success of a lot of these dating shows, especially these so-called reality competition dating shows like The Bachelor, it's uh, precisely the opposite. Women are just as, if not more more interested in hearing about all these different aspects of relationships and the courtship process. I think that uh, the networks, I believe it's ABC, is are doing something really interesting with the latest incarnation of The Bachelor in that it's essentially a senior citizen. They're calling it the Golden Bachelor. And they're overtly trying to appeal to the Only folks that are still routinely watching network television, which are older viewers. I'm curious, Tom, how you think this is going to work out and if this is a smart strategy.
1: Well, um, first of all, just in general, not picking on any one show, um, I don't watch reality television at all, at all. And uh, so I would not be in the audience uh, for it, no matter how they change it or how they... uh, uh, goosed it up uh, Nothing would, would get my attention uh, Like that um, I, I, Keep in mind The Golden Bachelor was created In anticipation of a Prolonged writer's strike.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh
1: So ABC Has been filling their schedule With re- lots of reality shows There is one called Loteria Loca uh, I don't even know what that's about But it appears to be a reality show Involving a lottery I don't know um, But, but uh, look Mm-hmm. Uh, the the Bachelor has had success essentially uh, because uh, uh, you know reality shows have had their day and and continue to have their day to some extent. Um, you know I think it'll be just as successful as the other shows, the other spin-offs, and there have been a few spin-offs of The Bachelor. So I just think it's going to be like another spin-off.
2: In terms of the future of network television in general, though, with the core of their audience, which they're now acknowledging, being older, and in maybe twenty years, thirty years, those folks are all uh, going to be gone and replaced with uh, a generation that gets a lot of their content from streaming services and from their mobile phone and TikTok. What what is the future of these networks, the broadcast TV networks?
1: Well, it's, it's broadcasting in general. Um, unless something is compelling and needs to be live, like a news story or a sporting event, um, I do think that with few exceptions, and by the way, your, your station where I worked in 1980, your station um, uh, is one of the exceptions to the rule because you've got numbers. But believe me, when I look at the number of stations, mm-hmm. lower and lower numbers, uh, with less and less listeners, the audience getting older and older for a lot of these radio stations. And TV is, uh, is doing the same thing. It's doing the same thing. So I, I think that what is going to happen ultimately is that if something isn't local and if something isn't live or doesn't need to be live, it, 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 it is not going to succeed, period. I mean, look, Bob Iger came back to the Walt Disney Company and one of the first things he talked about was selling ABC, Mm -hmm. the network, and the eight owned and operated stations they had. Now, they got out of the radio business, and I think uh, in a timely fashion, because they made a a huge profit selling ABC, uh, the the radio division, and um, uh, some of the TV elements. They've also sold off with time. Uh, you see that ABC uh, book in New York City, ESPN, the FM version of ESPN radio is, is being sold. It's going away. Uh, they're going to stop doing that. Um, and and uh, I, I think that's ultimately what you're going to start to see. If something isn't timely and local, it's going to fail. One of the things that we've
2: heard from radio programmers is the recognition that live and local is a better strategy. It has to be quality content, though, right? I mean, if it's all just kind of the no. same <laughs> warmed-over garbage, it's not going to be.
1: It's not going. To, it doesn't matter if it's local. Well, and no, 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 actually, it matters if it's local, even if it's terrible. It's really, okay, because it's local. I where I live. I live in northern Santa Barbara County, and so this is a small media market, tiny. I mean, like in the 192 range or something like that, 192nd largest market, literally. And um, uh, we watched the local news here for laughs uh, because the uh, most of these people are just coming out of college or just coming out of broadcasting mm-hmm. school or in some cases out of high school and going on television and i will tell you something as bad as it can be because it mentions local towns local people local businesses i watch it knowing it's badly done i still watch it every night <laughs> i guess that makes sense so uh, ideally it should be
2: good but even if it's not good as long as it's local <laughs> that counts for something
1: if, by the way, based on how much money radio companies spend on talent, uh it's probably not gonna be great <laughs> but, that's but true. what I'm saying is if it's local, it has a fighting chance in the new version of broadcast media. and if it's not local or if it isn't live like a a live event that's going on right now, it's not gonna work because look, all the stuff that is prefab. It's on satellite radio. It's on podcasting. Uh, There's live streams. There's all kinds of ways to get the content of, uh, for example, if somebody is playing uh, the top 10 pop songs. Why do you need a local radio station for that?
2: Well, yeah, I think you know it's a, a rhetorical question. you certainly don't in terms of um in terms of radio though right in, in now let's say you yeah. owned uh, a radio station, right? what would you do with that radio station? I mean most local, people local local under forty <laughs> they don't even have a radio, so would you do okay. kind of what you did and just have kind of an online situation or would you would you keep these antennas?
1: Well, I I would certainly sell them while you can still get this kind of money for them because they're going to be worth a fraction of what they're worth today, 10, 15 years from now. No doubt about that in my mind. Uh, But I I do believe that, uh, uh, you know, if you have have local talent, local comedians, local journalists, um, local personalities, even if it's not great, what people crave, and that's why WABC is having the success it's having, okay? Because if if you um, if you make local radio, mm-hmm. people will feel compelled to listen to it. If you make local television, people will feel compelled to watch it. But, like, look, let's take, just to name a name, V100. Now, now Z 100s morning show is syndicated. It's not even a. Right. It's not even like live for New York or New Jersey or Connecticut. It it it's a syndicated show that's heard on many I radio stations. So, if I could tune in and hear less commercials, all my favorite songs. Right. Uh, I can program it in advance and play the songs I like in the order I want to hear them. Why would I listen to Z one hundred? Why do you need it? What for? I mean, in 1982, when Scott Shannon came and 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 blew everybody's minds with Z100, it was compelling and spectacular. And after WABC had left the top forty format in 1982, um, people were thirsting for that kind of radio station, and Scott Shannon knew that and put the, on what the people wanted. But now, do do I really want to hear a syndicated host? playing the same 10 songs they're playing on Sirius or uh, playing on uh, countless streaming apps. I, I, I don't understand the purpose
2: if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Tom Likus, a legendary radio talk show host. These days, he's a podcaster. You can check out his podcast at premiumtom.com. That's premiumtom.com. Tom, you mentioned the the writers' strike, the Writers Guild strike. Yeah. That's been settled. A lot of these late night talk shows are are coming back. We still have the SAG after strike underway, and even in Detroit, where we're heard on uh, WFDL out there, they're experiencing the United Auto Workers strike. Where do you see this going? Uh, Some people are saying that this is sort of the uh, organized labor movement's opportunity to strike back. Others are saying this is organized labor flirting with uh, obsolescence because uh, they're raising the cost of labor for these companies. How do you see it?
1: Well, the, the reason that you're having all of this union activity and um, unions are having success uh, with their uh, uh, strikes, is because the unemployment rate is so low, and companies are all complaining that they can't find workers. They can't, so the workers know they've got the upper hand for the first time in like forty years, and they're taking advantage of it. Um, now, now for me, uh, I've worked in radio. And most of my work was not union work. Uh, And my dad, on the other hand, you may not know this. My dad worked at the New York Post for forty-three years. Hmm, I didn't know. And he he was the unit manager for the union there, the Newspaper Guild. And um, he and I used to have arguments about this all the time, because he would come home to me and talk to me about how much money he wanted to be paid wasn't being paid enough. Uh, But at the same time, he would tell me that he had just heard that the paper had lost $30 million every year going back many years. It just continued to bleed money. Um, In fact, when Rupert Murdoch bought the New York post in 1976, I think it was on the verge of just simply going out of business. Mm -hmm. And uh, Murdoch saw an opportunity to get a media outlet in New York city and took it and, and ran with it. But, um, the fact is that that when the unemployment rate is 7%, you know, go ahead and go on strike. You got a lot of other people who come in here and fill your job. When the unemployment rate is 3%, um, guess what? Uh, you know, you're running out of people who are qualified to do a particular job or willing to do a job, and so the unions have the opportunity to, to, to gain some ground on their bosses. Um, how do I feel about it? I, I never went on strike in my life. If I didn't like a job or I quit the job and I went to another job that had better conditions or paid more or was in a city I wanted to live in, because that's how uh, radio worked all those years is that it would be like comedians coming up through (laughs) the the ranks, working at small clubs and working an act out. And then uh, with time they would get on bigger and bigger stages. So um, I never thought that way. I never thought about going on strike, carrying a, Uh, It was after back then, uh, carrying an after picket sign. I never did that. I never did. it. If I didn't like a radio station, if I thought I was being underpaid, if I thought other people were getting a lot more than I was, I went to work there. So I'm I'm not one of these hardcore go-out-on-strike people. Uh, By the same token, uh, TV writers are not firemen. They're not policemen. (laughs) They're, they're, they're not teachers. Uh, they're not uh, they're necessary. So if they want to go on strike, have a party, eat donuts with Drew Carey in front of uh, Paramount or whatever you're doing out there, I don't care. I've, I, I I made it through this summer. It was uh, like six months of this writer's strike, and I never ran out of content to watch, and I was never bored, and I was never inconvenienced, and I frankly don't care. And now that the show's coming back, my habits have changed, and I think a lot of people are going to be in that same position. If you haven't seen Stephen Colbert for six months, will it become Right, a you've habit moved on. Again?
2: You've moved on, sure. Right.
1: Uh, I know I have. I, it's, it's, and all these shows, same deal. Um, you know, like The Daily Show, it, that show doesn't even have a host. Um, am, I, am I waiting for them? After all this time, I've lost interest. Whether they hire a host or when they're coming back, I really don't care.
2: I think you're speaking for a lot of folks. Uh, Tom Likas is my guest. We'll take uh, as many of your calls as we can throughout the hour. 800-848-9222. That's 800 If you want to weigh in on anything we've talked about or take the opportunity to ask Tom a question in one of his many areas of expertise, 800 This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
2: The other side of midnight, I'm Frank Morano. We'll take your calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. My guest is legendary radio talk show host and podcaster, Tom Likas. Oh yes, really? Uh, Tom, by the way, a lot of folks always knew and appreciated the unique way in which you said really. Am I remembering correctly that you you got that or was inspired, that particular pronunciation of really by Jack Benny?
1: Oh, yeah. Many things I do were influenced by Jack Benny. Back one time when I was sued by a listener back in 2001, um, the attorney for the opposing side uh, picked on me for having Jack Benny for a uh, an idol. But Jack Benny was one of the great broadcasters. He was not just a comedian. He was one of the great broadcasters of all time. And uh, some of his techniques are still... Uh, usable today.
2: I, I think if you watch or even listen to a lot of his old shows, they still hold up uh, in terms of humor purposes today.
1: Uh, they do, and uh, you know, Jack Benny was a master of timing. No one had better timing than Jack No one. And uh, I learned a lot from listening to Jack Benny. When I was... Uh, I'll, I'll bet you don't know, or maybe you do, but I'll bet you don't. Uh, in, uh, Upper Manhattan, uh, in the sixties, there was, uh, in its final days in operation, there was a concert venue called Lewis on stadium. And, uh, it was on the campus of city college and they, uh, in the summertime, it was, it's very similar to what they do in LA at the Hollywood bowl in the summertime. They had a bunch of, uh, classical, uh, nights, jazz nights. And my father uh, was a cons- uh, ran a concession stand for the Harry M. Stevens Company. And uh, so he used to slide me into Louisville Stadium to watch Jazz Night. And uh, I had the opportunity at nine years old to meet Jack Benny oh, backstage wow. at Louisville Stadium. Um, and it, it really affected me, no doubt.
2: Uh, that must have been something. I, that uh, that's pretty neat. Hey, um uh, Tom. One of the things when I think we had you on last, we put a photo of you up there on social media. A whole bunch of people reached out to me and said, "Oh, you know, that doesn't look like Tom Likas. Who's that?" And I asked you about it last time you were on, and you basically said you lost a lot of weight through doing crazy things like uh, reducing sugar and salt and and eating in a more healthy manner. These days, you wouldn't even have to do that because of all these weight loss drugs like Ozempic and Wegovy. I'm sure you've heard all the stories about uh, these this new crop of weight loss drugs. Right. What uh, What's your take on this? What would you advise somebody that's considering taking
1: one of these drugs? Don't do it. Don't do it because, look, for me, I have different priorities than most people. Most people want to lose 20 pounds get into a suit for a wedding uh, in November. I'm not one of those guys. Um, I I don't think about losing weight in terms of looking a certain way or wearing a certain outfit. I look at uh, losing weight as part of living healthier. And uh, there's no doubt about it. We're seeing more and more stories about the fact that not only the things that I have taken action on, like sodium, including salt like uh uh the amount of meat the uh, uh, the uh corn syrup hydrogenated vegetable oil all of the things that can cause hardening of the arteries i know i sound like that guy but um i am that guy i eat healthy every i put in my mouth everything and that means I, I i i the the only things i eat that are off the plan I'll have a slice of birthday cake on my birthday, and I eat. I make a big Thanksgiving dinner for about 15 or 20 people, but uh, that's it. Every day I get up, I eat one slice of whole grain toast, sometimes with peanut butter, sometimes dry. I uh, do not drink liquor very often anymore. I drink uh, wine. That's it and uh we've seen stories about especially ozempic uh where people are having all kinds of complaints after they've used it not the least of which the weirdest one i saw is that people losing weight in their butts and they they're walking around all saggy (laughs) Uh, come on (laughs) that is not healthy it's not a good idea and we are all much better off to living healthier as healthy as we can, you... um, because there are so many other things to worry about, whether it's the environment or whatever. Um, the least we can do is put good food in our bodies, and so I do. And uh, it's not just food. It's also treats, It's also beverages. It's everything. And the last thing I would do is take a shot or a pill to lose weight. I've never done it, never will.
2: In for people that don't know your career trajectory, you are literally a self-made multimillionaire. Started with nothing and have built a pretty impressive portfolio for yourself by by all accounts and one of the things you used to do on your show is money monday where you'd invite people to call in with uh, with questions and a lot of your advice was uh, pretty conventional pay off a credit card debt and uh, don't go along with uh, things like meme stocks and all sorts of penny stocks and that kind of a thing crypto you, yeah. cryptocurrency right uh, i came across a story a couple of days ago that Costco, which I know you've recommended to a lot of people for the free credit report, if nothing else, they're actually in the business of selling gold bars at nineteen hundred dollars a bar. Is that a good investment? You recommend people buying gold bars on their next Costco trip?
1: I, well, I, you know, again, I don't think most people do any research before they make an investment. Uh, they meet a cab driver, they meet a buddy uh, down at the bar, whatever. And somebody says, hey, I heard about this AMC Theaters. This is great. Uh, but very few people actually do the due diligence to make an investment. Now, is gold a good investment? Uh, well, generally, no. It's not really an investment because it's a commodity. It is not a company that generates free cash flow or dividends. Um, so I do not currently own any uh, precious metals at all having said that it would depend on what at what price costco was selling gold bars and what the price of gold was that day if i could get a good deal um i certainly wouldn't discount the possibility of buying it just to get rid of it as soon as the price went up which it will do very similar to what happens with bitcoin by mm-hmm. the way. uh but uh, i i'm willing to bet if it, it, your audience is no different from the average american because let's face it, we're all average Americans when it get right down to it. Um, I don't think the average American is willing to put in the work to do investments properly. And so they invest in anything from lottery tickets to Irish sweepstakes tickets, (laughs) whatever. Um, Do people know how much gold costs per ounce on the uh, open market? Do they know uh, what they should be paying for Do they know when to get rid of it? I don't think they do. So I really think that people need to be much more conservative with their investments and and only invest in things you are willing to read about and learn about. If you don't know what a company does, if you don't know how profitable they are, if they don't earn profits, you shouldn't be investing in them. And I'm willing to bet that most people don't even know if they, first of all, don't even own individual stocks. Or if they do, they have no idea about how profitable those companies are or are not. And it's one of the reasons so many Americans uh, open up Facebook any given day. Uh, I see them specifically from the radio business. People 70 years old who work years and years in radio making good salaries. And they're on there having GoFundMe pages and asking people to send them money. Uh, I will never do that. that. That is the last thing I would do. I have always been very conscious of my investments. I've been conscious of where I'm putting my money. And I also have been conscious of what my friends do and don't do. And what they mostly don't do is read. And because people hate reading and they consider it work, well, when they're investing, they're flying blind.
2: One of the things that uh, my wife and I were just discussing recently is uh, I have more credit card debt than she would like. Where She would like me to have none, and I have some. I'll, I'll leave out the details of how much, and I'm you know working towards uh, paying yep. that off. But um, one of the things that we were talking about is, uh, is the idea of using a 401k loan, a loan from my 401k to pay off credit
1: card debt, as far as you're concerned. Good idea or bad idea? As long as you can put the funds back into the 401K, it's a good idea. But some 401Ks, once you take the money out, you can't get it back in. So you really have to know the rules of that company and that 401K before you do it. Your wife is right. I hate to tell you. (laughs) Uh, You should have zero debt. At all times, except for a mortgage, Uh, you shouldn't be leasing cars. You shouldn't be buying cars with seven-year loans like some 84-month loans. It's insane. Um, You need to keep your debt under control. You you only borrow money to buy a house. That's it. If you can't afford to buy a car with cash, buy a two-year-old used car. Go to CarMax. Go to Carvana. uh, Do uh, the auto trader. but no way should people be taking out these lengthy loans to buy these cars that break down in three or four years. It's insane. And I, as far as credit card debt is concerned, you are renting money. So you know, unless you know you get hit by a bus, sure. you need surgery right away. There's no reason to be running up credit card debt under any circumstance. <laughs> so that's what I preach on my podcast and I preach on my radio show. And I live it. I haven't had credit card debt um, uh, in years. I, I think going back to the 80s.
2: Tom Likas, my guest, 800 848 A lot of people very eager to chat with you, Tom. Let me begin with Alex in Brookline. Hello, Alex. Hey,
0: Frank. Hey, a Great to talk with you. Uh, I want to ask you a question, but I do want to comment about the investing in precious metals or I think all these – Big investment things like precious metals, um, crypto, or big stock companies. It's a very gray area because you, you say you got to you got to ask for advice before you go into it. But there are people on both sides. There there are people that are for investing in precious metals. They'll tell you one hundred percent professionals and you'll have people saying it's a hundred percent wrong. And so I think whatever you do is bad and good at the same time. So as no, far as it I'm isn't. concerned,
1: jump in. No, you know? it isn't. That's not true. The people recommending you invest in precious metals are, yeah, they're professionals in the sale of precious metals. <laughs> These are not people who have your best interest at heart. They are selling you bitcoins. They're selling you Dogecoin. They're selling you gold, silver, copper, uh they're selling to you and they tell you it's a good idea
0: no but if i I, if i go and ask
1: you wouldn't know when that time is
0: right but if i go and ask a financial advisor i think that there are people on both sides from professional financial advisors out there that would one that would say precious gold is the right precious metal is the right way to go about it one that would say it's the it's the worst thing to do
1: so that's why i think those who say that are absolutely wrong and you would if you want to know the the truth Take a look at a graph of what gold has done over the last 20 years. It goes up, it goes down. Do you know when mm-hmm. it's going to go up or down? You yeah, probably mm-hmm. don't, because most people don't. And that includes right. professionals, by the way.
0: Uh, and I want to ask you about the future of newspapers. Now it's it's mainly... You know, on the screen, you don't get it. Any people yep. buy it. Also, I want to know how do you think how far, how long is that going to hold out for? And I also it's already dead. Of, <laughs> and I also want to ask you about the future of political entertainment because thirteen-year-olds, fifteen-year-olds, as far as most of that I know. Um, I think they're more into video games, movies, YouTube, you know, as far as as much as they care about politics, it's very little. And if Mr. Beast would run in 20 years, they'd vote for him for president and he would very possibly make it. So I want to know, is there a future for political entertainment in this new world? Where, where kids don't really care about anything other than movies, and, and what about po- I think like yeah, podcasts? Where you don't. Yeah, thanks,
2: people- Alex. L- let me get Tom to respond because I want to try and get to some other people here as well. Uh, g- give me your your response to Alex's general question about the future of political uh, audio and visual content.
1: Well, I, I I have questions about the future of comedy, mm. regardless of what point of view it comes from. Um, everybody's insulted in everything now and uh it's very hard to be a comedian, no matter what your opinion is, no matter what your material is and And I have to say as a as a consumer of comedy who loved uh the people of the eighties, you know Steve Martin back in the day uh Robin williams, whatever um we don't have an environment where people can go on television and say just about any joke without offending us say with the audience and so until we get over this division in this country. I don't think that's going to be a lucrative uh, gig for anybody, but the most well-known or the people who've been doing it the longest, like Chris Rock or Steve Martin, is still uh, alive and kicking and doing a great job. But um, you know, when you look at old episodes of things like the Johnny Carson Tonight Show, and you see the the number of comedians he had on there, it's nothing like that now, and it's, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. Joe is in
2: Queens. Hello, Joe.
1: Yeah, Tom, I'd like to ask just uh, about podcasting would be my main question. I I do notice that some people use salty language. And sometimes, you you know, it's more along the lines of like Howard Stern, like what people are kind of spilling the beans. And I wonder if that's something they should think twice about as, they say, a guest if they if they don't want this stuff out there uh, saved in, in, in the list of podcasts? What's your thoughts on that? I, well, I uh, look, I, I think podcasters should do what works for their personalities and for their pocketbooks. Um, you know, there is no FCC in the podcasting world. Those who want to do a lot of vulgarity can do it. Um, I'm not 100% totally... Uh, Broadcast clean uh, in the podcast world myself, but I'm also not going on saying the F word 40 times an hour. And uh, I, I really, podcasting is really more of a free enterprise, entrepreneurial kind of thing. People should do the exact thing that works and pays them money. That's what they should do. Uh, nothing different. So in your in your case, money, though,
2: in your case, though, Tom, yeah. with, with respect to podcasting, uh, obviously you you're making money, and that's great. But a part of the reason you were able to develop such a, a fan base and a base of supporters that are willing to pay eleven dollars a month, which people can do at premiumtom. dot com, is because you were able to use terrestrial radio and other endeavors you were involved in to build a, a following there. If you're kind of starting out in broadcasting now, it's you're even you, you're not able to reach the same amount of people in podcasting that you did when you were on terrestrial radio. So, how does someone build a podcast audience at the moment well, when when you don't necessarily have that sort of
1: terrestrial radio opportunity to do so? Well, let's face it, most of the people who are successful in podcasting come from some other uh, profession or or, where like, like Mark Maron. um, I heard a podcast being done with uh, Amy Poehler uh, as some character, Uh, but uh, Amy, uh, uh, Amy Poehler podcast where, where it's hosted by her playing a character. Um, You know, but everybody who's got the successful podcast uh, or everybody who's got a big podcast deal gets paid a lot. How did Meghan Markle and Prince Harry get a podcast? Uh, And who would listen to it? Well, they found out, you know, they found out by doing it that no one really cares. Um, And that's a common thing in the podcasting world. Um, But many of the people who have succeeded in podcasts they may be good. And yeah, you know, Conan O'Brien has a successful podcast. He did the same thing. He was on TV and now he does a podcast. Um, so it's very hard to build from scratch when you're nobody. And um, much of podcasting I see as for hobbyists. You know, people want to talk about their favorite uh, way to make jam or their favorite uh, uh, traffic routes. <laughs> they make a podcast out of that. Um You know, so they have a little niche audience, and it feeds their egos. Uh, Me, if I were not making six figures, I would not do a podcast. I do it for the money. I don't do it for the art of it. And uh, I always said that about radio. Mm -hmm. I said, if you're hearing me on the radio today, it's because I want money. Once I don't want money, I won't come in anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And I haven't. I haven't done done a daily radio show now
2: in 14 years. Tom, hang tight. Uh, We're going to continue with Tom Likas in a moment. We'll get some more of your calls when we can. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: The Other Side of Midnight. Sign at Midnight with Frank Morano.
2: This The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, joined for the hour by Tom Likas. We'll get to your calls in a moment, 800 Tom, I know you have uh, abandoned all of your New York area sports alliances and uh, anybody that's watched the Jets or Giants of late, especially uh, a couple of hours ago, the uh, dismal Giants lost to the Seahawks would say that's probably a smart move. The interesting thing that's happened to football is that apparently the best thing to happen to the Jets recently is that Taylor Swift went to one of their games. Uh, apparently Taylor Swift has brought a whole new level of viewer to these football games the average uh watching the uh, chiefs jets game with taylor swift in the audience was 27 million viewers making it the most watched sunday football show since the super bowl in february and apparently there was a surge of more than two million female viewers uh are you surprised <laughs> taylor swift is actually driving the audience for these football games tom
1: well, Taylor Swift is selling out football stadiums like SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. So, uh, no, I'm not surprised at all. Not at all.
2: 800 uh, 848 A lot of people eager to talk with you. Thomas calling from WCBM in Baltimore. You're on with Tom Likas.
1: Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, talk to the Johnny Corson Show. How would you rate the Johnny Corson Show? Was he talk show, uh, late-night talk shows up today. Johnny Carson was the best broadcaster who will ever live other than Vince Scully. Johnny Carson was the best late-night personality that will ever be, it ever was, or where will, be. Well, will ever be. Um, there is no comparison. Um, there are people over the years that I've liked but not loved like Johnny Carson. And even now, once in a while... You've got uh, a full-time 24-7 channel. I think it's on the Roku channel uh, Mm. or the Roku network um, where they run Johnny Carson episodes 24-7. And even now, I tune in once in a while to see that because he was that good.
2: Uh, Thank you, uh, Thomas. Dave in Manhattan, what's your question for Tom Likas?
3: Yeah, hi. Um, I just turned 30. Um, You know, I have a career. I'm an engineer. I uh, just got married and I uh, accumulated some uh, money. I saved up about a hundred thousand dollars. I was just wondering what the best advice is, how to invest something like At that. At thirty,
2: God bless you. That's great. Mm-hmm.
1: Right now, I have a mortgage. Uh, on,
3: I have a mortgage on an apartment, and um, I have this money saved up. And I'm just thinking of the wisest thing to do, whether in real estate, whether in uh, stocks, or. I uh, just don't know what to do with it, and just sitting in a savings account right now.
1: All right. Well, the, by the way, have you checked what the interest rate is on that savings account?
3: Very little. I mean, I put it in CDs here and there. CDs is like four and a half percent, but the checking account is. Yeah, like, but your money, your money is
1: not available to you. It's not liquid, correct? Um, the money right in the CD you can't get right access to. It was in a
3: six-month CD and right, right now it's liquid that's why i'm very curious right. what to do next
1: well r- today and i have i'm not affiliated with any investment company i have nothing to sell but mm-hmm. right now vanguard has a money market fund that pays 5.27% on your deposit and interest rates are probably going to go up one more time this year which could bring it up to uh, 5 and 3 quarters percent um, and I would say with the uh, a declining uh, uh, condition of the stock market uh, uh, REITs and what have you I would put that money aside in a like like a, a vehicle like that a money market where your your funds are liquid and where you're getting a, a big high rate of interest I mean years ago two years ago banks were paying not one percent, not point one percent. They're paying point zero one percent
2: interest, uh, it's a, and
1: getting away with
2: it. It's a different world, Tom. The hour always flies by whenever we're together. I have uh, pages worth of notes to go over with you about uh, Donald Trump, about sports, about women, about money. You're just going to have to come back again soon.
1: I'll be happy to do it, Frank. Always a pleasure.
2: Thank you. And uh, on behalf of all of us that are Tom Likas fans and really enjoyed the last hour, for old time's sake, blow me up, Tom. (laughs)